Good morning, man. I find it um, appropriate. I need my glasses today. I find it appropriate that Psalm 25 is before us. Um, as I was listening to the prayer request, I realized that there's sometimes life can just get overwhelming, right? And um, what do you what do you do in those moments? Who do you approach? And I think Psalm 25 has some of those answers. And I and I hope that David's prayer today will 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 show us a few things. And maybe the most important lesson here is that God's uh, that we can be confident in 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 God's assurance to us that He will show us His mercy, even in the midst of all the things that we're all the the uncertainties. We just got a phone call this week, not a phone call, text message actually on um, on Sunday, and it was um, the pastor's the pastor who led me to the Lord. His son is my age, uh, two months younger than me actually, and we got a text message saying that Darren was uh, in hospice care. Uh, he had a brain tumor uh, about eight years ago and got the surgery done and things got better and did the treatment and all of a sudden that came back and now you get a text message that a 42 year old man is healthier than m most of us tennis player um is is dying so how, how do you how do you approach situations like that in life and i, I think i think psalm 24 is going to give us some of those answers so i I'd, i've been praying that we would have our hearts open to this not to me but to God's word today. So uh, let's dive into this text. I just want to invite you to open your Bibles there to Psalm 25 with me. And um, we'll, we'll see what God has for us through David's words here. Um, now, when you, when you think about Psalm 25 or any other passage, you realize there's, there's always context. And I, I heard, I listened to a Brazilian theologian one time, and he said, you know, he, he was doing his second PhD, and he says, you know, I learned three things in my PhD studies. Number one, uh, it's all about context. Number two, it's all about context. And number three, it's all about context. All right, so I hope the context of Psalm 25 will, will help us to understand what God is doing here. But here's the, here's the hard part. Psalm 25 was written, was written as a poem. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but, I, but I see my, my little girls actually writing, and they write poems, and sometimes it doesn't make any sense. And in one way, Psalm 25 is one of those. Uh, I have not met a theologian that agrees exactly on how the structure of this psalm needs to be broken down. So if you and I were to sit down, you would probably disagree with me. And because all the theologians disagree, I'm okay with us disagreeing about the, 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 breaking, the breaking down of this passage today, Okay. So I broke the passage down in one way that I think it helps us. But here's, here's what we see. Psalm 25 is actually a uh, chiastic or chiastic structure. Okay, so it's acrostic in one way. And here's what I've done. And once again, this is what I've done. I've broken them down into main sections here. Number one, protection, guidance, forgiveness, and meditation. And then I believe David is going to go back to forgiveness, guidance, guidance, and protection. Now, what we're going to do today for the sake of time is instead of looking verse by verse here, we'll group those, those uh, 
main points together as we go through this. So we'll talk about protection together, guidance and forgiveness, which are literally the three main things that I believe David is communicating to us. But, but those things are not the most important thing, I believe. Here's the most important thing, the meditation, because David is going to approach God with his problem, just like we've done this morning in prayer. He's going to say, hey, I, there's things going on here. Would you protect me? Would you guide me? Would you deliver me? Literally, he's going to ask us for salvation. He's saying, would you save me? And then he's going to say, in this way, would you guide me and teach me? And all those things are going to be guided towards God's, God's ways. And then he's going to say, you know what? I've, I've done a lot of sin. Would you please forgive me? Forgive the sins of my past and forgive the greatness of my sin. And then he's going to meditate on God's attributes. He's going to say, God, you are kind and fair. And, and he's going to point out some things here. And as he meditates on those things, I believe that is the, the gasoline that fuels him to go back and say, God, I still have some problems. Would you please forgive me? Would you please guide me? And would you please protect me? So let's break those things down this morning. Number one, uh, I want you to see on your, on your Bible right there, first three verses, um, talks about God's protection. And, and here's what it says. Let me go back here. Oh Lord, I come before you in prayer. Now, how, how many of you have started your prayer this way? Heavenly Father, I come be, before you in prayer. I think this is a pretty typical prayer, right? But in one way, what, Peter, what, what David is doing here, he's actually requesting his, his, opening, his opening statement is actually describing his surrender and submission to the Lord. He's, he's, he's saying, God, I come before you and my problem is actually way bigger than, than my ability to solve it. Now, listen to what Psalm 86 verse 4 says. It says, make your servant glad for to you, O Lord, I, pr I pray. So in one way, the relationship between Psalm 25, 1 and Psalm 86, 4 is that the servant of God approaches him understanding that in one way, the deliverance in Psalm 24 and the gladness and the joy that comes out in Psalm 86 only comes through this God that we approach in prayer. So in one way, complete surrender and submission in there. All right, here's what also happens. Look at this. Spurgeon says, and I think this quote is really interesting, it is but a mockery to lift up the hands and the eyes unless we also bring our souls into our devotion. Now, I grew up in Brazil, and if you know anything about Brazil, if you want to learn what Brazilians are like, you go to YouTube and you search Brazilian soccer games. And you're going to realize really quickly that Brazilians are extremely emotional. They like to lift their hands and yell and scream. And when you go to churches sometimes, and most of them charismatic churches, you realize that they're, they're all about their hands and their eyes. But as they leave that place, as they go home, there's a little bit of devotion. There's much exposure or exposure of my devotion to God on, on church on Sundays, but there's little holy living. And so what Spurgeon is saying, and what I believe, I believe David is actually saying, that if, if, if those things are not all combined then my actions on the outside are, are, are very hypocrit hypocritical because they don't reflect what it's on the inside. Now, there's a few things here that are really interesting about Psalm 25, 1 through 3. And I want to look at the verses here with you. It says this, My God, I trust in you. Once again, here's a declaration. I trust in you. Before I approach him in prayer with my request, I acknowledge that he is the one able to provide what I need for my life. So he says, please do not let me be humiliated. Now, he's not, playing, he's not praying for 
uh, the next basketball game, even though that's important, when you're playing the number one team in the nation and you're probably going to be humiliated, that's not what he's talking about here. Please do not let me be humiliated and do let my enemies triumphantly rejoice over me. Certainly none who rely on you will be humiliated. Those who deal in treachery will be thwarted and humiliated. Now, if you go all the way to verse 20, look at your Bibles in verse 20. It says this, protect me and deliver me. Please do not let me be humiliated for I have taken shelter in, on you. There's the word humiliated here appears four times in this psalm. In the beginning, it says, verse 2, please do not let me be humiliated. And once again, he ends in verse 20 saying, please do not let me be humiliated. So you realize that that's, that's a, a inner struggle for David when it comes to what's going on in his life at this moment. Now, once again, what is interesting about this psalm is that nobody really knows the context what was the situation that was actually taking place here? Where was David that he's actually claiming this? Some people associate, you know, his struggles with certain areas of his life in, in, in his lifespan, but nobody actually agrees with exactly what's going on here uh, or the context in which this comes. So there's the request, and look at this. Number one, we see there's a request. Number one, number two, there's the reassurance. The request is what we just looked at. It. Please do not let me be humiliated. Now, in your notes, uh, in the bottom, the bottom of page number one, it says to be humili humiliated means to be let down or disappointed for having trusted in something that in the end provides unworthy of our trust. And that's a statement from Boyce. If you look at Isaiah 49 in Romans chapter 5, you realize that statement is, is pretty accurate. In this initial prayer here, two main things come up. For us, first, God's faithfulness to, the deli to, to, to deliver us. And number two, God's faithfulness to judge. Look once again at verse 3. He says, It's certainly none of you, none who rely on you will be humiliated. That's his faithfulness to deliver. Those who trust in him will be delivered. But also there's the judgment aspect. Those who deal in treachery will be thwarted and humiliated. Now, here's, here's what is interesting. Those two things that we just looked at, both his request to the Lord and his reassurance that God will act, comes out of verse 2, the beginning of verse 2, when he says this, My God, I trust in you. Now, if you came to CBF two weeks ago when I preached, I, I talked about we have this foundation that we stand on, and out of this foundation, God begins to work in our lives through His Word, through His Spirit, through the relationships, relationships that we have in order to guide us into holy living. Now, for David to approach God with his request, and even his reassurance that God will act, come out of his trust in Him, because he, what he's actually saying is there's no other God or there's anything else that I can trust that is able and capable of answering my own prayers. Now, if I were you and if I was myself on my daily life, and I am myself, I would have to realize that, yes, I can trust myself to accomplish certain things, but I cannot trust myself to accomplish everything. And that is why my response should be just like David. My God, I trust in you. Now, let's move to verses 15 to 21 because we're going to combine this. Verses 15 to 21. 
But before we get there, let me give you a key takeaway. Divine protection only comes from a divine God. Uh, that sounds really obvious. I had a friend of mine one day, he's, uh, he was struggling through life, and he made this statement, which is not actually true, but that's what was, he was going through. He said, you know, it's really interesting that when you struggle through life, you go to the Lord in prayer, but when I struggle through life, I try to work harder. Oh, there is, there is a, a working harder aspect in life, right? You work through things in life. But that caught me off guard because I'm like, I'm not trying to be publicly putting my prayers out there, but why, why does he think this way? He thinks this way because he thinks he can solve the problem. And I think David comes to a position in his life that he realized, I can't. So here's, here's the first takeaway. Divine protection only comes from a divine God. <clears throat> All right, here's the text. Verse 15. Can I, can I have anybody maybe on this side? It might be easier to read. Can I have somebody read the first section for us? Just go ahead and read it. Go ahead. I continually look to the Lord for help, for he will free my feet from the enemy's nets. Turn toward me and have mercy on me, for I and alone and oppressed. Deliver me from my distress. Rescue me from my sufferings. See my pain and suffering. Forgive all my sins. All right, would you read this one as well, please? Watch my enemies, for they outnumber me. They hate me and want to harm me. Protect me and deliver me. Please do not let me be humiliated, for I have taken shelter in you. May integrity and godliness protect me, for I rely on you. All right, thank you. Now, let me put this in, 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 let me put this two passages together here, all right? Let me show you something here. What, what do you see on this prayer? What, what do you see here? Me, me, my. Lots of me, right? If you're in my house, and it was snack time, you would realize that the world belongs to my children. Everything's about me. But in one way, what is really interesting about this passage is that he, he's, not, he's not talking about a me-me prayer that's focused on me. Listen to this. Look at verses... Um, he, exp he explains his, his distress here. I'm alone and I'm distressed. But he says, uh, they outnumber me, they deliver me, they do not be me. I have taken shelter in, in you. I continually look to the Lord for help. Everything is sandwiched together in his assurance that everything he's bringing before the Lord is, is, is factoring the fact that he's looking to the Lord and he's asking him, to remember that he has trusted him and put himself in submission to be under God's shelter for him. Now, I might quote this, this guy wrong, but I think it was Tim Keller that said one time that the only person that has the privilege to approach a king at 3 o'clock by requesting him a cup of water is his children. And in one way, we are, as children of God, we are able to approach our Heavenly Father with anything we have at any moment of the day, even though we might be only asking for a cup of water. Now, there's a few things here I want to show you. 
If you haven't noticed, is there's a description on the page on top of the page two that says this description of, of David's agony. He is look at this, look at his situation. He's alone, and that's all coming from this, this section here. He is alone and oppressed, he is distressed and suffering, which by the way he reflects twice in verse 17 and 18. He is afflicted and he is in pain, he's outnumbered, and he's hated by his enemies. Now, when was the last time you had all those things happening at one time in your life? Uh, probably none of us ever experienced that. But here's what happened, and here's what he said, and here's what I want you to remember. He can ask all those things because he continually looked to the Lord for help. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Now, Look at this just for a second with me. Here's what David requests. Number one, he requests that to turn towards me and have mercy on me. He's realizing he's pleading with the Lord for God's mercy to come to him because the idea here is that David requests for God's grace to sustain him because every single person around him has abandoned him. So he's lonely. He's saying, deliver me from my distress, verse 17, which literally means he's saying, save me, O Lord. He's asking God to prevail over his struggles. He said, forgive my sins. And this is another key idea here. His request for forgiveness in verse 7, 11, and 17 demonstrate that David's request to, to, to God to come for his help also is based on the foundation that he understands he's a sinner. And then he asks for to watch over his enemies. He's requesting justice. He's, God, this is not a just, a, a just situation. Provide me with your justice. And then he says, protect me and deliver me, which David's request here clarifies his trust and hope that God will not disappoint him during his struggles. Now, I have this just... Hopefully you can laugh about it. You're not the dogs raising your hand, but any questions or comments? What do you see so far? Oh, much of the aspect of the passage is doing that came in this humanity of kind of a love of best effort to give over his attitude. And to toward the Lord, you know, because this verse 15, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, the NIV, you know, the ESV says, and, and my version says always on the Lord, mm -hmm. Greek word up, and it talks about root word stretch, mm -hmm. which is, is, you know, taking us beyond where we normally go to that thought process to gaze and keep our eyes on the Lord. Exactly. And so that, that's the, the part, that's what we have to do. Yet here's a guy who's one of the worst uh, characters that we want to talk about in the scriptures, yet at the end of the passage, integrity and honesty will protect him. Mm -hmm. How does that square up? Well, it doesn't in our heart, in our finite minds. Only by the grace and mercy of Almighty God can we get that. Great. Great point. Anybody else? Any questions, comments? Concerns? No? I, I think his, uh, his, the 
desire for you for humiliation probably comes from his own pride. Right? And I think sometimes God uses our fallibility and some of our human insecurities to draw our, us to him so that he can use us and to reinforce our dependency upon him. Okay. Let me let me pick back on that. Well, if if David was a proud man, and we don't know, we can only assume this, right? If David was a proud man, would he be willing to come before the Lord with all the stuff that was going on in his life? Would you think he would say, oh, "I think I can handle this one. I'll cut my prayer in half." <laughs> I think what David is saying, that's the key, is from first, first verse 15. I continually look for the Lord, look to the Lord for help. And for you to do that, you need to understand two things. And here's, here's the key. We talked about understanding how, how God's mercy is going to act in this situation. But you need to understand two things. Number one, and David has mentioned this by the word forgiveness. You need to understand who you are. And then number two, you need to understand what David is explaining about the Lord. You need to understand who he is. We'll talk, we'll talk in, in just a moment here, so I'm not going to give you the uh, key takeaway here, but we'll go back to this aspect. So let's go into uh, a prayer for guidance. He's, he's, asked, he, he's asked God to protect him. He's talking about this protection. Please protect me. Now he's going to say, God, God I, need, I need some guidance here. And we'll see that from verses 4 and 5, as well as 12 and 14. Now, Oopsie, right here. Verse 4 says, Make me understand your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God who delivers me. On you I rely all day long. Now, once again, you see the words rely in there. Here's, here's what he's saying. His request right now is, is, is twofold. One is to make known his divine ways in verse 4. Make known your divine ways. Teach me your past and, and make me understand this. And also guide me in your truth. Now, our culture, and we talked about that last night at our boys' Bible study, our culture says we, we can teach you. Which in one way, it's a reflection of something that's opposite from what God wants from us because what David is saying, there's nothing else that can teach me to the point that it will lead me in the direction that I need to walk. We talked about holy living. We talked about the foundation that propels me towards holy living. And this is, what God, this is what David is saying. He's like, I need to understand these things. So there's, there's two things here. Number one, there's a plea for understanding. Now the words here when he says the words uh, ways and, and paths, uh, teach me, help me to understand your ways, teach me your paths, um, refer to the conduct and the way that, that the Lord requires of those who worship him. Once again, he's asking God to provide him understanding so that he can, leave, he can live his life accordingly. There's a quote here on, on the bottom of page 2 that says, No one who has been shown the way of God or taught his past or led in his truth has been led into sin or compromise that led to public disgrace and dishonor. And this is what David is fighting for in prayer. He's saying, God, I can't do this by myself. My situation is way out of control. You need to guide me. You need to put me in your path so I can understand how I'm supposed to deal with this. 
If he doesn't ask for those things, he will deal with that situation he's facing from a human perspective, and the outcome of that will not be a divine result. It will be a, a human result. And those things walk so closely that sometimes we, we confuse them. Here's the other thing he says. There's a plea for direction in verse 5. David has recognized his needs to be guided and to be taught. Once again, he's recognizing that the follower that comes before the Lord needs to approach him in humility. And you see that in verse 9 because that's the opposite from the pride that we were just talking about. A key word here from this two, the, the two verses we just looked at is the word deliverance, which means, once again, I mentioned that earlier, salvation. He's asking God to save him. Not only to deliver him, but to complete, completely save him. Now, there's a little bit of an application here, I think, which it's on your page, page 3, that David expected the Lord's gracious hand to provide understanding, guidance, and teaching, and deliverance. Now the question is, do we expect God to respond as we approach Him in prayer the same way? Do we expect Him to guide you, to protect you, to forgive you, and to teach you? Now here's a key takeaway from this. The continual pursuit of God through prayer will cause the follower of God to seek God's favor, instruction, and guidance. Now, I'm going to go back to this word here. The key word here is the continual pursuit. Because according to verse 15, David says, I continually seek you. When you learn the Bible, when you go to Bible school, you learn some, you take some different classes. One of them is Greek and Hebrew. I have, never met, I have never met a student who mastered the Greek language in one day. And just like myself, those who spend four years studying the language, when you don't use it, you lose it. So we can't just be anchored in the salvation that we have because God didn't save you so you can be stuck here. God saved you so you can live your life in a holy way, independence of him. And that's what David is saying. God, I, I understand who I am. Teach me. Help me to understand you. Now look at the result of David's prayer here in verse 12 through 14. Can I have somebody else to read this for us really quickly? Nate. He shows his faithful followers the way they should live. They experience his favor. Their descendants inherit the land. The Lord's loyal followers receive his guidance, and he reveals his covenantal demands to them. Now look at this. Look, look what's key here, I think. Look what he's going to do. He's saying, the, the Lord show his faithful, faithful, to his faithful followers the way they should live. He just prayed for this, right? Let me understand your ways. So now he's going to say, here's what happens when we pursue, we continually pursue the Lord and pursue his ways. He says, they experience his favor. Now, in your, in your notes, there's some verses in there. Let me, look, let me look through them with you really quickly. The first one is Proverbs 19.23. Proverbs 19.23 says this, Fearing the Lord leads to life, and one who does so will live satisfied. 
He will not be afflicted by calamity. Now you're thinking, okay, what's the assurance here? If you follow the Lord, there's no problems? No. It's the problem is, the solution here is that those who are fearing the Lord understand God's plans for them. So they experience his favor. Now, who, listen to the second thing. They inherit the land. Now, was, was land important for a Jewish person at that time? How important? There was a life or death matter, right? If you don't have the land, you, you, you will probably die. You can't sustain yourself. So he's saying that, that the relationship here is that not only I experienced God's favor, but I experienced God's provision. Because God was the one that promised them that the land would be given to them. This is not of their own accord. This is by God's promises. And once again, God is, what David is saying is that God's, God's track record is always 100%. That he will come to, to do this for them. Now, if you go to Psalm 37, verse 10 and 11, it says this, Evil men will soon disappear. You will stare at the spot where they once were, but they will be gone. But the, oppressed will, the, but the oppressed will possess the land and enjoy great prosperity. That's the assurance. Look at number three. They will receive his guidance. He's asking for guidance and the assurance here that he comes to now in the midst, of, listen to this, in the midst of his prayer, he understands that there's the assurance that God will answer him. Now, is this 100% accurate that God always answers us? And the answer is yes. Does he always give us what we ask for? No. But David is saying that there is the assurance here that God's going to deliver his followers and give them the guidance that they need. And number, number four God's going to reveal his covenantal demands on them. Now, in your notes here, I have a statement that says, the fear of the Lord is directly connected with the follower's humility. We haven't got to verse 9 yet, but I believe it is connected. It is the humble who will experience the Lord's blessing and will achieve great understanding of his covenant, which is the verse 14 that we just looked at. It is the humble who God's, God's directing, is the humble who receives his favor, is the humble who in inherit the land, is the humble who receives his guidance, is the humble, it is the humble, who God reveals his covenantal demands to them. Now, before we do any questions here, in Matthew chapter 5 at the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 5, it says this, Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. And so David is praying, understanding that, remember, verse 9 comes before verse 12 and 14. That verse 14, 12 through 14 are built upon the fact that God will answer his prayer requests because it comes from a humble heart. Now, any questions, any comments? Coming off this past weekend, we talk about being humble. God blesses the humble. That is a huge part of this four days of freedom weekend. You can't break free from sin unless you humble yourself before God. 
you have to choose his will, you have to choose his ways, and this is all part of it. You've got to ask God for his guidance. He will give it to you, but you also have to humble yourself to receive it. Great point. You know, as men, it seems like it's it, in my life, it seems like it, it's hard to, to do that. You know, it seems like we're taught to, you can do it, you can do it. There's all kinds of things in the world saying you can do it, but asking for help is not one of those things you're really taught to do. It's about go do it. And this verse to me sings out about pride. There's no room for pride. You have to ask for help. Um. I'm reading NIV and it has you know, humiliated that word is put to shame hmm. I don't know if there's a, if there's a difference but I uh, in the humiliation I, I heard one time somebody had, in an interview somebody asked Mother Teresa how do you become humble and she said there's only one way to be humiliated <laughs> and David's praying not to be humiliated or shame yet. He was humiliated. And maybe that was the way. Yeah, and I think I think David's request here is that, in one way, the humiliation of a fo of a follower of God is, in one way, the humiliation of his God, right? Um, pride, pride is a disease. When I got to Cedarville, I was struggling with the language, and I, I had to take a uh, composition class, which is not the best class you need to take on your first semester when you're a foreigner. But they asked me to do that, so I'm writing this paper, and I'm writing, I'm writing the same paper. I'm on the seventh time writing this paper, and I go to the dean's office, and she, said, she sits me down, and she says, so how are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm not doing well. I said, what's going on? So I explained to her, I said, you know, I do have problems here in my papers, and I walk on the sidewalk, I ask people, hey, how are you doing? And everybody says, great, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm like, I can't believe 3,000 people are just okay. <laughs> and she looked at me, she looked at me, she looked at me after 45-minute conversation, she said this, I have never had a foreigner, a student, a foreign, foreign student who has been so open to the point that I don't know what to do with your information. We're not used to... Even if you say, hey, I need some help, we are not used, used to handling that information, are we? Hey, Arnold, I'm going to send you to uh, Pastor David. Go talk to him. Usually that's what we do, right? The professionals will handle that, but that's not what's supposed to happen because we're a body. So let's go for a prayer of forgiveness here really quickly. Remember your compassionate and faithful deeds, O Lord, for you have always acted in this manner. Do not hold against me the sins of my youth or my rebellious acts because you are faithful to me. Extend to me your favor, O Lord. And then verse 11, for the sake of your reputation, O Lord, forgive my sin because it is great. Now, um, if, if you're in David's shoes and, and, and you were to ask God for something, what character traits would you would you bring up in your prayer? What would you say to God? Good. Good. Gracious. gracious. Merciful. Faithful. 
Okay? Loving. 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 We always always focus on the loving, right? Because he is a loving God. But here's what David does. Look at this. David focused on God's compassion and God's faithfulness. One is a reflection of God's tender mercies towards not only him, but to the nation of Israel. And the faithfulness of God is a description of the love of God that that God uses to actually enter into a personal relationship with his people. Now, I I left here last week after Dr. Craig taught, and I was thinking about how prayer is, is, there's no way of separating prayer and relationships. A prayer of the follower with the relationship that he has or she has with the Lord. And so I got this from his notes. I said from Matthew 6, 6, it says, True prayer is offered to our Heavenly Father out of a genuine relationship with him. And this is exactly what David is doing. He's saying, you are a compassionate God. You are a faithful God. This word faithful here, we could do a sermon on it for a whole year. Just on the faithfulness of God. And so he's going to say this, listen, he's going to say, please forgive my sins. Forgive the sins of my youth in verse 7. And then he's going to say, forgive it because it is great. It is great. Now, once again, those are the two main points in there. So let me just hurry through this really quickly here. And this is a question you can answer by yourself. How should forgiveness impact the way we pray? Now let's move here. To understand the gravity of sin, we must compare it with the greatness of God. The only way one can be humble is when he puts himself in light of God's greatness. And then David answers this and he handles this with a meditation. And so let me just read this to you because we're running out of time here. The Lord is both kind and fair. That's why he teaches sinners the right way to live. May he show the humble what is right. May may he teach the humble his way. The Lord always proves faithful and reliable to those who follow the demands of his covenant. Now there's two things here. He doesn't focus on God's loving or faithfulness. He he focuses on his kind, kindness and fairness. Okay? And number two, he focuses here as he ends this on the fact that God is faithful and reliable. Now, Nate actually called me yesterday. He said he wasn't going to be able to make it to the boys' Bible study because his freezer wasn't reliable enough and decided to stop working. This is not who God is. You can always rely on him. And so when David approached him, he says this, and this is the most important thing I can give you this morning. May he show the humble what is right. May he teach the humble his way. So I'll end with this quote. Here's the condition of God's revelation in prayer. And it's in your notes, David says that God will show his faithfulness towards those who are humble in verse 9 and keep his covenant in verse 10. David is expressing that a change of attitude into submission is just as important as a change of our choices to fully obey God's covenant. Humility comes from the heart that has been confronted with, with the holiness of God in comparison with the ugliness of our sinfulness. Let me pray for us and we can continue to talk if you want to, but thank you so much for listening this morning. I pray that God's mercy will be part of your life and your walk. And Father, I just pray this morning that you will give us a a humble hearts. 
Father, there is no, we talk about humility and pride here. There's no, there's no place for pride inside of your church. You've taken care of that on the cross. So let us put those things off and help us to put the things that we need to put in our lives that come from you so we can run this race that you set before us. Let us do this with humility. Help us to understand that you are, you are the one who provides protection, that provides guidance, that provides humility for us, that provides understanding. And may we approach you, Father, as we embrace this journey of loving you through our, our recognition of our sin and the recognition of your greatness. And so, Father, I thank you. Thank you for every single man here this morning. Help them to, to live holy lives, to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.